Welcome to the podcast for Rehope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. All right, good morning, church. We, we are going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to be talking about the gospel today. I, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. What, what Jesus has accomplished for us is just incredible. And, and I hope that as we go through this, we can, we can recover that delight, that joy in, in the gospel. In case you're new here or are visiting, we are going through the gospel of John together. We have gone through Jesus's, most of his life and, and his teaching at the Last Supper. We're now in chapter 18 uh, of the book of John. Uh, we're finishing that up today. And basically, we're at the point now where John, uh, Jesus is on trial, where he's been arrested, he's on trial, and the, the governor or Pontius Pilate is going to decide, see very clearly that Jesus is innocent, and yet he's going to be crucified and condemned to die. That's where we're at in, in the story. Uh, now, the main thing, if you're new here visiting, that I would want to know is, as I'm kind of catching up with this study is John wrote this book for a very specific reason. The, the reason that he wrote this book, the reason that he's chosen to highlight the things that he's highlighted is this, that, that, that we would believe, that we would believe. When we read about what Jesus taught, when he, how he responded, what he went through, what, what he it's how he wants us to live. It's all about getting us to believe in Jesus and by believing, having life, receiving life, life in his name. Now, to believe in Jesus, as we've talked about in this study thus far, isn't just to believe he existed. All the people who are nailing him to the cross, who are, going, who are putting him on trial, who are condemning him to death, they all believed Jesus existed. That's not what John is aiming for when he says he wants us to believe in Jesus. We're aiming to believe in Jesus, meaning that we would trust him, that we would trust him with our lives, with his leading, with his teaching, with his directing, with his guiding, believing in him in such a way that we would, we would trust that when Jesus says that we're forgiven of everything as we give our lives to him, believing that we are, faith is believing. Just believing that we are. And some people live in this anguish, what if I'm not forgiven? That is, that is doubt. That's not believing, but believing uh, that we would believe that we are forgiven. And, and, and even when we're called to forgive people, we'd be like, ah, that, that doesn't feel right. I don't want to forgive give this person for whatever's going on. But believing is, is trusting him. Jesus says to forgive everyone who sinned against me. Okay, I'm going to follow that. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to believe in his ways, in, in his and his commands, and live my life in, in that way. It's about believing in such a way that we, we dedicate our lives to him. We're committed to trust him and to live how he's been told, no matter the ask, no, no matter the cost. And it's this way of believing, it's this way of living, it's this way of following Jesus where we get life, where we get new life where we get abundant life, where we get eternal life, all these things, all these facets of, of life that we receive as we believe in the name of Jesus. So that's why John wrote this book. That's what he's trying to set us up for. That's what he, he wants us to get to the point where we, where we read about Jesus and we choose to believe. We choose to believe uh, 
Uh, but you have to make the choice. So as we go through this flow today, it's, I'm just going to tell you the structure right off the bat that we're going to be walking through. You're, we're going to see as we go through these two trials, we're going to see three complaints about Jesus. Three complaints. We're going to see two claims of Jesus. And we're going to see one choice being asked and offered in this passage. Three complaints, two claims, and one choice. With John's hope that we'll decide, okay, we want to choose Jesus. We want to choose to believe him. Okay, so that's, that's what we're going to look at today, two trials. One is by the high priest, Annas, and one is going to be by Pontius Pilate. It's going to be, we're going to hear, John's going to mention he's also going to be on trial from Caiaphas, who is the real high priest at the time. Um, the other trial that's mentioned in the Gospels, not mentioned in the book of John, is, is when Jesus goes before Herod. But we're going to just be looking at these two trials. And, and as we look at this, um, what I would want you to know about this, this first guy, Annas, is that he is a massive, powerful deal in the nation. He used to be the high priest, but he was deposed. But maybe, maybe you aren't tracking this, but the high priest is the highest person of the nation, like the prime minister. In fact, even you go back about 160, 170, 80, 90, about 200 years from this moment, um, in about 166 BC, when the, the Jewish state became independent again after, um, after breaking free of the Greeks, the highest person in the nation was the high priest. They didn't set up a king. They didn't, they didn't do that. Uh, so the high priest is the big deal. And once a high priest, even if you're not the, the current acting reigning high priest, you still carry that title. Now, this guy was such a big deal, and his influence is such a big deal that Five of his sons follow him in becoming high priest, and then his son-in-law, who is Caiaphas here, is also becoming high priest. You can just get a flavor that this guy is the power, is the power. He may not be the reigning high priest, maybe it's his son-in-law, but he is the power behind what's, what's going on here. And so Jesus is brought to him first, first, before he even goes to, to see his son-in-law, Caiaphas. Anyway, so that's kind of the context. We're going to look at this trial. If you have your Bibles, I'm picking up in John chapter 18, and I'm going to be looking starting in verse, verse 19. This is what we read. So the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. He's questioning Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And Jesus is going to reply here, I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple complex where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Um, we know that he explains things to his disciples independently, that he actually does say things. When no, but what Jesus is saying, I'm not saying anything else. Anything, anything, any, any, I'm not giving secret conspiracy teachings that you're not aware of. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know, they know what I said. Okay, so there's a, there's a complaint here. There's a question out there, not unlike common complaints in our days. As we look through these complaints, we're going to see people in our, okay, maybe not in here, but out there, there are people who have these, these complaints uh, and he's being questioned here about, like, basically his teaching, what he's been teaching his disciples, what, what he's been uh, teaching when, they, when they're not around to, to hear him. They don't like his teaching in general. In fact, 
they, they get offended, they get raging at Jesus for, for the things that he says, because the things that he is saying are, are different than what they want to hear or how they're acting or how they want to, to believe. And he, they're just assuming that the things that he's saying to his disciples are even worse than what they're aware of. So you've got this complaint, the complaint about Jesus' teaching. Now, when we talk about Jesus' teaching and the complaints here, I want to remind you that Jesus' teaching is fully biblical. It's, it's fully biblical, but it's just not in alignment with the, the strongly held onto traditions of the Pharisees. And we're going to mention one in a little bit that's, that's really interesting because you can see even just his disciples holding on to that tradition, even though it's not biblical and having to get... Um, having to get educated by divine revelation about it. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. When it comes to this, though, it's very common in our day to, to think that we're being biblical when actually we're just holding on to some traditions. Funny example, and I say funny in kind of the not funny way, but, you know, it's funny, funny now that it's over. Um, the first 10 years of the church here, we had one thing that was complained about more than anything else. Anything else. It, it's, it's, it's so fun to, to be the leader and have all the, something complained about so consistently. And, and it, was, it was communion, how we practice communion. The number one, like by far, by far, the, the number one complaint. And people would be angry with me and, and be like, how, how can we do this so unbiblically? And, and, and the complaints were varied, like, we do it too often here. Every week, come on, that's, you know, that once a quarter is probably better, or once a year, it's, it just makes it not special. I'm like, no, it is special in and of itself, and um, anyway, I don't want to bring up these old heart wounds or whatever, but, um, but you know, like, the, the idea of, you know, what we say, Brian, you're not saying, we're not saying the right words with communion, or the, the priest or pastor is supposed to, how we, how we administer it isn't quite right, or, or we're supposed to take communion at the same time, and, and so it's like, it's kind of like we all have to hold it, and then, oh, okay, Yes, okay, yes, we did it, we did communion. We did it right, we did it right. We got the, we got the look, okay. Yes, we succeeded in celebrating communion biblically. I, I don't know. Uh, so we, we, it's just all those things, right? And, and we, we laughed now, we cried then, but we, we, got, <laughs> we got through those 10 years. 10 years, um, okay. People left our church because, because of, you know, how communion was practiced or whatever. Praise God. And uh, <laughs> we went through these, these challenges of practices that just seemed so essential, right? They seemed, and there was these complaints like, how is practice? It doesn't seem biblical. Now, ironically, all the practices that are mentioned, and really ours ourselves, aren't really exactly in line with how it was practiced in the early church. Um, and some of that, praise God for. But, you know, the communion is based on the Passover meal where Jesus institutes communion. There's a full meal. We don't have lamb. Now, that's something that I wish was challenged. Why don't we have more lamb in our, <laughs> in our communion celebration? And they have, like, you know, four cups of wine. And, you, you, and, and you're like, why is there just so little wine? And... Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's good complaints to be had out there. I just haven't heard those ones. And, 
and, and, then you, and then, like, you can see it even in the Corinthians, where the, some of the Corinthians are just getting stuffed, eating in, as they're celebrating communion, and so they're getting drunk. Some of them are getting drunk because of too much wine. Um, anyways, our practices aren't exactly in line with, with but it's that, it's that heart. It's that remembering that at the very heart of it, the basic, the bread and, and blood of Jesus, the bread, uh, body of Jesus, the blood, um, the wine shed for our forgiveness of sins. So, anyways, we have these traditions that we get confused with Bible. With Bible. We, we do this in our day, and, and, and it's very understandable. That's going on in Jesus' day in a very strong degree, and it's one of the big complaints about Jesus. His teaching is that lining up with the teaching, with what's, what we feel is biblical. So, so anyways, we got this, this Pharisees and, 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 and the religious leaders here, the priests, they're they're challenging Jesus. They're all worked up about it, so much so that they want to kill him. They want to kill him. It's, it's a big deal to them. They want to kill him um, for this and for jealousy reasons and a few other reasons. But anyway, so they're questioning him here about his teaching, assuming that what they're hearing is just the tip of the iceberg, that there's more, that there's more being said that they don't know, and the reality is a lot worse. The enemy loves division. In churches... Uh, between churches, amongst, amongst believers. He loves to, division, and he loves to nurture suspicion and cynicism and the ideas of the ways that I like it are right and the ways that you like it are wrong. Now, if we step back and look at it, we'd be like, okay, that's not, it's not actually true. I can, I can hear it coming out of my mouth. But the enemy loves to cultivate that amongst God's people and and it flares up in Jesus' life all the time because he, he refuses to play that game. And instead, he's like, I will live biblically. I will live totally in line with Scripture. But I'm not going to take up all these other things all the time. So they didn't like what he was saying. Uh, and, then, and then there's this complaint going on about his teaching or what, he's, what is he really saying to his disciples. And then there's a, two other complaints, and we'll keep, we'll keep looking at them. Starting in verse 21 here. Um, verse 21, why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the temple police standing by slapped Jesus saying, is this the way you answer the high priest? Now, apparently there must be some guy whose job it is to hit people. Uh, it, and Paul experiences this as well in Acts. When he's before the high priest, he says something and it is, uh, what, what's your job? Well, I hit people for God. Uh, I don't know. It's like, how do you get that job? Um, sounds like, anyways, it's a, uh, I'm going to just keep going. Uh, so is there a way you answer the high priest? If I've spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Okay, so, so Jesus, he's questioned. He gives an answer. They don't like it. Somebody hits him. But it's this idea of complaints about his answers, the way that he's answering, the answers that he's given. And, and it could be like, Jesus, we're asking you questions, and either we don't like the answers or we want you to give us more answers, more clarity. And, and I think that if you pr have prayed for a bunch and, and asked Jesus you know, to answer prayers or asked him questions about your life, you may be annoyed about the way, Jesus, I want more clarity. I, I want, maybe I'm not saying no, to, I don't like your answer, like what you're saying to me. I just, 
I don't like how you're answering. I just want more. I want more understanding. I want more direction. I want more clarity. Could be that. But it could also just be like, Jesus, I don't like how you're answering these questions. I, uh, Jesus, how do you want me to um, interact with this person that I really like, that I love, and that we're not married? Like, how do you want me to treat them? Whoa, with, like, holiness and purity? I, I, I don't know if I... Is there anybody else that can give me an answer up there? I, I don't, or, or what do you want me to do with my, my money? And really, you want me to give that much away? I, I, that's, that's a, I don't really, that seems difficult. That seems difficult um, to do that. Or, or Jesus, I, how, how do you want me to respond to this person that's treated me so poorly? It's really hurt me. Forgive and, and, and wow, I, I don't know. That's, that's like, I, I don't know if I, I'm liking all of these, these answers. Jesus is going to be like, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. And, and here he's like, I, I, like I, I told, if I've spoken wrongly, you know, why are you hitting, why are you against me? And, and we can have that idea of, man, Jesus, I'm t- Jesus is telling us the truth. He's pointing us to God's holiest way, his holy way. And, and we may not always like those answers that we're receiving or, or how we're hearing it, but it's, it's truth, and it's good, and it's right. So they don't, there's some complaints about Jesus' answers here, which we can understand. And then there's going to be this trial by Caiaphas. And, and, and we're not going to hear John talk about that, but, but Jesus is going to go on trial with Caiaphas. And, and we'll skip down because we covered the next couple of verses last week about Jesus, uh, Peter denying Jesus a couple more times. And we're going to come back to the Caiaphas and the trial thing in verse 28, just, just four verses down. And, and this is what we read. Uh, Jesus' trials continue. It says, Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Just tuck that away. Then Pilate came out, and said, uh, came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Okay, let's just stop there. Now, the word translated criminal here is, it has two meanings. It means bad and evil. If this man wasn't bad, if this man wasn't evil... We wouldn't have, have handed him over to you. We, it's translated uh, criminal here, but maybe more understanding is this idea, and maybe your footnotes will say this in your Bible, this idea of if, this, if he wasn't an evildoer, if he wasn't an evil person, well, we wouldn't have brought you to, to trial. They aren't accusing him of stealing or, or hurting anyone. It's about his words. They're just complaining that he's evil, an evildoer. Complaints about him being an evildoer. But the thing is, Jesus isn't. And Pilate can clearly see this. It, there's, there's no doubt with Pilate throughout this, as we, as we read through this, that, that Jesus is not actually uh, an, an evildoer. Jesus hasn't done anything evil against any laws that Pilate is, is to oversee and, and officiate. But they're like, come on, if he wasn't evil, we, would, we wouldn't have brought him here. Uh, trust us, just, just kill him. 
And, and it, it's going to go on to read this way. So they answered him, if this man weren't an evildoer or a criminal or evil or bad, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. So Pilate told them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, signifying what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Um, they're being legally accurate here. They could not kill Jesus. But you'll see in the book of Acts, they still kill people. <laughs> they still stone Stephen and things like that. But they, they can't do this legally. They can't do this legally. And so they're putting the pressure on, on Pilate here. Um, I wanted to highlight here, okay, where is it? Verse 30, then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and said to him. Now, remember back in verse 28, I told you to tuck this away. In verse 28, Jesus being taken in the head, into the headquarters, a few verses earlier, the Jews wouldn't go into the headquarters. Why? Because if they went to the headquarters, then they would be defiled, and they wouldn't be able to celebrate the Passover. So here Jesus is taken into the headquarters, and by, by assumption, okay, now Jesus is being defiled, and, 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 and as unclean, or whatever. Um, we, we see that here, this, this, th this idea of you can't go into a Gentile person's home or into these areas without becoming unclean. We see it in Acts. Peter, Peter, years, a couple years later with Cornelius, he, he's being challenged to go into Cornelius' home. And he says in Acts chapter 10, as you know, I, I, you know I, I'm here because God's given me direction. But as you know, this is not, this is not okay. And, and that's after a couple uh, after a while of being, being a believer, it, it is so deeply ingrained, not just in the, amongst the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish people, this, but also in the, in the apostles and the early Christians, this idea of not being able to go into a, a Gentile's home. And so I kind of thought, over the, just not thinking too much about it, this idea of, well, well, okay, so Jesus is becoming unclean so that we can become clean. But actually, I was reminded this week that there is no Old Testament law about going in, becoming unclean by going into a, a Gentile's home. This is a tradition. This isn't a, a, a scripture law. This is another one of those examples. Jesus isn't breaking the law by going in, by being brought into this, this headquarters. Think of all the great saints of the Old Testament. They're all like, like Abraham and Moses. Moses constantly going before Pharaoh, or, or Nehemiah, or Esther, or, uh, people working in, in, uh, in the palaces of, of, of Gentiles and unbelievers. You have so many examples. Elijah living in a, in a widow's home way, way up out of the land, up by, up by the coast, up in the north. You have all these examples. It's just not a, 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 it's not a law thing. Again, this is just a huge example of something even for a couple years after the gospel and, and Jesus raised from the dead. Oops, I gave it away. But he gets raised from the dead. Uh, there's just, it's so hard to hold on, to, to let go of some of these deeply, deeply ingrained traditions that just feel so connected to your faith. But Jesus isn't breaking them. He's not breaking the law here, um, but other people think he is. But continuing on, so there, there's those three complaints 
But then there's two claims that Jesus is going to make about himself here as we keep reading. In verse 33, Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I am not a Jew, am I? Replied Pilate. Pilate replied, Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origins here. You are a king then, asked Pilate. You say that I am a king. Jesus replied, I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus claims to be king. His claim is to be king. Now, and to be clear, an otherworldly king, an otherworldly king, a king not of this world, which means, as we know, king of heaven, king of kings, lord of lords, kings over everything, over the earth, on the earth, under the earth, king of kings. He was born to be king. And the question that continues to hang over this passage and this whole book is, have you made Jesus your king? Have you committed yourself to Jesus' kingdom? I know this is going to come as a huge surprise to nobody in this room, but I wasn't born a citizen of the UK. <laughs> what? What? I can't even fathom. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, it's true. I wasn't born a citizen, but I became one. And, and how, do you, how do you become a citizen of the UK? Well, part of it is you have to go in and you have to make an oath. And, and all, country, all these countries have different oaths that you have to make, but they're, they're, they're basically along the same pattern, that I'm going to be loyal to, to this country, be faithful to this country, and, and those are words that are in the, the UK oath specifically, that, that I'm going to you know, abide by the commands, laws of the land. I'm going I'm to abide by the rules of, the, of, this, of this nation. Uh, so that's what it is to become a citizen, uh, citizen here. Having Jesus as your king, becoming a citizen of Jesus' kingdom is, is, is very much in the same line. It comes with some great perks. The perks of forgiveness, receiving the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, salvation, eternal life, life, abundant life, becoming a new creation. But it also comes with some expectations and, and kind of commit, commitments, like to honor your king, to, to be loyal, to be faithful uh, as a, to your king, uh, Jesus, to go when, when your king calls, to, to live how your king wants you to live, to follow the commands and the, the, ways, the, the ways of this kingdom. Making Jesus your king includes all these amazing things that we receive, but also our commitment to live in the ways of Jesus' kingdom. And, and can I just say, as a longtime follower of Jesus, as a longtime follower of Jesus, he is an incredible king with inc incredible ways that his directions and his guidance and the way that he wants the people in his kingdom to live is, is spectacular. It's good. It's wonderful. It's challenging, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. 
The first claim that Jesus makes is that he is king. The second claim that he makes is this. You say that I'm a king, I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? Said Pilate. Jesus claims to bring the truth. To bring the truth. Born to be king, born to tell us what's truly true. What is true? Well, how about going back to John's very first words in this whole book? What is true? In the beginning was Jesus, was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Jesus, through him. And apart from Jesus, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in Jesus. Life was in him. And that life was the light of, of men. He was in the world. The world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, here's the truth, to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Skipping down the word, Jesus became flesh and took a residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is true? This idea of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but now we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have turned away and, and rejected God. But Jesus came to, to give us a way back to God. To, through grace, through truth, through his obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross, that we would know truly that there is a God who loves us, who cares how we live. There's forgiveness for everyone who's fallen short, which is everyone, myself included. But you've received grace. You've received this grace by believing in Jesus and by oathing your life to this, this kingdom and Jesus the King. Jesus has come to give you grace. He's come to give you a new beginning and to draw a line in your life between the past and, and your future where we give our lives to him and we get a new start in life with this, with this king. And the truth is, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need Jesus. Without Jesus, no hope. But with Jesus, there's full grace. There's new life. There's new life. That's the truth that Jesus was born to announce and to provide. Born to be king and born to bring the truth. Okay, so that's three complaints. That's two claims, but there's one more thing in this story, and, it, and it's one choice. And, and, and look at this in John 18, 38. Uh, what is true, said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So 
Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a revolutionary. Now, this is interesting. Revolutionary. Do you have any footnotes in your Bible there? Uh, my footnote here says, this word means robber. He was a robber. And then my footnote also says, same word used in John chapter 10, verse 1, and John chapter 10, verse 8. Same word, robber. Okay, what's that about? John chapter 10, verse 1 reads this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Skipping down to verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, says Jesus. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, or the thief and the robber, which we're talking about, the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John chapter 10, we see this great contrast between the thief and robber and the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Uh, the thief and the robber represented the evil one. And then the good shepherd represented Jesus who came to lay down his life for us. The enemy is all about stealing and killing and destroying, stealing your hope, killing your dreams, destroying your faith that God really does love you, that he really has forgiven you, that, that confidence, that trust that God is good and that he cares about you, is paying attention. In John 10, we see the stark contrast between the enemy and Jesus, the, the robber, the thief, and, and Jesus, the good shepherd. And now here, Pilate is announcing the greatest choice. He's announcing the most important choice that, that you ever will make, this, this great choice of the ages. According to Pilate, you get to choose one. According to Pilate, you get to choose one. The king, which he says, the king, or the robber. That's what you get to choose. The good shepherd or the thief, the king or the robber, the innocent one or, or the guilty one, the giver of life or the taker of life. Three complaints, two claims, and now one choice, the king or the robber. And friends, you have to choose. You have to choose. If you stay silent, you get the robber. That's, what, that's, that's the choice. You get the robber. If you stay silent, you get the thief who's come to steal and to kill and destroy. But you have a choice. And that's the great news. You, you have a choice. You have a choice. And, and it's shocking that people wouldn't choose Jesus because the alternative is so obviously messed up. And to Pilate, it's like he can't, Pilate can't even believe that they wouldn't choose Jesus. He just can't even believe this. Pilate clearly wants them to choose Jesus and not the robber. And that's what I want for every one of you. It's what John wants as he's writing this book. And it's his hope for all of us that we would choose Jesus, believe in him, give our lives to him, so that we would have life, forgiveness, 
be born again as children of God. It's my hope that if you have not given your life to Jesus, if you've not joined his kingdom, that, that you're going to make that choice today in, in a moment. I'll give you that opportunity. But for now, I've got two challenges. Two challenges. Challenge number one is this. Do you have any heart complaints about Jesus' teaching or really Jesus' anything? Maybe his answers? Like, Jesus, I, I'm not liking what you're, how you're directing me. I, I'm not. It's time for some surrender prayers. Surrender prayers. Jesus, I, I'm, I'm struggling with your answers that you're giving me about how you want me to live. But I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow your way. Those are, those can be hard moments, but significant life moments. Second challenge is this. I challenge you to memorize John 10.10. 10. It's just one of those great Great verse, if you've not already memorized it, to tuck that away. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Mm -hmm.